Hey, Chapel Street Church. You know, it's no secret that the war in Ukraine is a terrible tragedy. We should all be on our knees, praying for an end to the violence and the hostilities in that region. As a church family, a couple of years ago, we helped to build Stephen's Home, a ministry to men with uh, disabilities that are, that are desperately in need of care. Elise West and her team have done a remarkable job of building that ministry. But that home is in Kherson, a city that's been embattled uh, under the Russian invasion. And those men and the workers have had to flee. They're currently in Odessa, hoping to relocate to Romania until the war is over. So we just ask you to continue to pray for provision, protection, and end to the war, and that the home would stay standing so they could return one day and continue the, the important work they started there. Many of you have asked how you can support relief for refugees in Ukraine. Well, we're pleased to tell you that Matt and Sarah Titus are Serve the World missionaries in the Czech Republic, and they are right now receiving and preparing to receive more refugees from Ukraine coming through Poland into the Czech Republic. And they've sent us a message specifically outlining how we can help them with the great work that God is doing. Hey, Chapel Street. Just want to say hi from the Czech Republic. Um, in my garage right now, you can see it's become a bit of uh, like a warehouse hub these days. Uh, I want to say thanks so much to everybody who's been giving, helping make some of this refugee relief uh, possible. We're going to stay active at it for as long as we can. We've been helping to get apartments ready for more long-term living for people, kind of midterm, more long-term sort of. We've been delivering supplies to locations that can get it across the border to the Ukraine so actually into the country. And then we've also been helping delivering supplies at big refugee centers where people are coming in, they're only staying for like a few days before they find more permanent housing, like the apartments that we've been finding and re remodeling and doing reconstruction and outfitting for. So it's been crazy busy. It's been an amazing opportunity to be involved in all of it. We're so thankful that we're here in the midst of so much tragedy and that we're able to help and that we're able to do it in in the name of Jesus and as a church I think it's such a powerful witness um, that we can actually be the hands and feet and feet of Christ in the midst of such such a terrible thing so thank you again so much for everything and for your continued support like I said uh, it's kept us going it's motivated us it's literally given us the funds to do all of this relief work and as long as that's still there, we're going to keep at it. We're going to keep pushing at it as best we can. So thanks so much. Love you guys. So we want you to know that any gift you give to serve the world in this season will help missionaries like Matt and Sarah Titus for the important work they're doing to help these people who are displaced, who are looking for not only material provision, but for hope. And we can give them the hope of the gospel. Speaking of the hope of the gospel, we're so excited to launch into a brand new series on the greatest chapter. Maybe you're wondering, well, what's the greatest chapter? We could argue this. Is it Genesis 1? Is it John chapter 3? Is it Psalm 23? There's arguments to be made for all of these. But we're going to dig into Romans chapter 8. This chapter is amazing. It's full of deep and rich and practical theology that it will help us understand what the resurrection means uh, for our lives. And so we can't wait to begin uh, this week and in the following weeks on Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter.
again, just to kind of um, piggyback on what Jeff just said, we're so grateful for the many, many ways that you have um, responded generously in, um, to situations like Ukraine, served the world in the past. Obviously, that has enabled us to be able to respond in this moment. And um, there is clearly an ongoing need there. And so we're praying for the Tituses. Um, your, your ongoing support to serve the world helps us be able to um, help them meet needs. And, and so we're just so grateful for the generosity that you have displayed and, and for God's preparation in advance to mobilize his church um, as we continue to seek peace and to pray for the people. Um, and, and we invite you to do that with us today. I also wanted to update you regarding compassion. As you know, many of you know, if you've been here over the last three weeks, we had an initiative, a goal to um, sponsor 500 compassion children across all four campuses. Um, over this week, we can say confidently that kind of, we don't have a final number because some people uh, gave online and signed up online, so we're still getting all that. Um, but we can conservatively say that we sponsored 560 compassion children. Um, and our initial goal, if you remember, I, I said it sort of incorrectly in week one, I said our goal was to clean the slate. Um, that's actually gonna be a partnership between two churches. So there's another church similar to ours that this week is starting the very same thing that we were doing. So there's about 900 um, unsponsored compassion children prior to the start in Ecuador. And we're going to, uh, we got about 560. We're hoping that they can clear out that remaining amount and, um, and that uh, there will be no unsponsored children in, in Ecuador uh, for compassion. We're just incredibly, again, incredibly grateful for your partnership. Um, it's the body of Christ mobilizing and responding to need and reflecting the gospel and it's beautiful and, and we could not do it without you. So thank you. Um, and thank you for your ongoing support and care. Um, every year, right around now, I get an email. Um, everybody at church gets an email, at least all of us who are full-time and on the uh, church's insurance policy to come to a meeting where they're going to explain our insurance to us. And you probably, many of you maybe get similar kind of emails in your places of employment. Nobody gets super excited for the meeting. We all kind of go sort of begrudgingly and more like, oh, what's gonna change? Or what am I gonna have to do different? Or do I gotta get another doctor? Whatever, you walk into it like that. We're all sort of coming in a little bit like, okay, this is like a necessary evil, I guess, kind of thing, right? But there's one person in the room who's super excited and that's our insurance rep. It's like, this is like the best day of, of his year. You know, he's like, I get to tell you all about the insurance and he's excited about it and like he can't wait to see you and he's kind of anticipating that you're coming in with the same level of enthusiasm that that he has and so he starts to unfold this and he's talking about dental and eye and everything that you can do and all these like you can get this app and that saves you money this way and all these things and and at some point in time in the conversation inevitably with a high degree of excitement in his voice he'll say turn to page 43 the explanation of benefits. Like, you guys are going to love this, you know? And you turn, like you read, and you can't understand a word that it's saying. But his enthusiasm, his, his desire for us to understand is because he seems to have wrapped his head around the implications of what it means to be in. 
If you are, if you are in this insurance group, if you're in this policy, this is what it affords you. This is what it's done for you. I want you to understand what you get by being a part of, of this group. Pastor Jeff mentioned that we're starting a new series entitled The Greatest Chapter. We could jump into that debate about your favorite chapters in the Bible and what's on the Mount Rushmore and what are all your, where do we go in times of need and encouragement. But no matter where you land on that, the, the eighth chapter in Paul's letter to the early church in Rome is this soaring vision of what the life in Christ is about. What does it look like to, to receive the life-giving spirit, and how does that inform the way that we live? And so to be fair, comparing Paul's explanation of the impact and significance of the gospel of Jesus to an insurance meeting is, is a bit unfair, because we come into those meetings a little bit um, skeptically and begrudgingly, but Paul wants us to understand what does it mean to be in this community of followers of Jesus? What, 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 are, what has this done for you? What is the significance of what Jesus has done? What are the implications of being in? And when Paul, as, as differently as we might approach a, a meeting with insurance benefits, we, we should approach what Paul writes here with this excitement and enthusiasm as he describes for us this the spiritual explanation of benefits of being in Christ because Romans chapter 8 is this it's theologically dense it is transformative you're going to see it is compelling and it's practical and it's all this description of the accomplishment of Jesus applied to us when we place our faith in him and we'll talk more about that in a moment before we jump into Romans chapter 8, I want to just add that I'm, I'm hoping to approach this kind of with two audiences in mind over these next five or six weeks together. I want to, and I think this is Paul's, Paul's writing this, the letter is written to the church in Rome. So we can say that his audience in mind was the followers of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, understand Paul, Paul's writing this to you. He wants you to understand this. He wants the church to live with an awareness and an understanding of, of what I'm going to talk about as our status or our standing in Jesus. But I also, I also want to invite, I want to, I want to speak to those of you who may be here this morning who are still, still exploring what it means to have a faith in Jesus. Or, or perhaps you're even here this morning and you're, you wouldn't necessarily say you're exploring. You might have been brought here by somebody. You might just be being polite to somebody, whatever it is, whatever it has drawn you in here this morning. Perhaps COVID has upended things in your world and you're just trying to figure out where to land. And, and maybe you thought that church on the corner of South Mill Creek and, and Main Street might speak into it. I don't know. But whatever has brought you in here this morning, I, I, I want, I'm hoping to make the case for you over these next few weeks, not only about what Jesus has done for us, that's going to be central to all of this, but why you can trust him, why you can trust him with your life. And so I hope that you hear it as an invitation. 
I hope that these words for you are an invitation as to why you can place your trust in Jesus. So let's pray, and we're going to open up God's word together and look at Romans 8. Father, we just ask those things. We ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would open up your word to our hearts and to our minds. We ask that we would gain a fuller understanding of who you are, what you have done for us, and the Spirit's work of unfolding that in us. So Jesus, be, meet with us this morning. Reveal more of yourself to us, and we ask these in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to turn to Romans 8. We're going to focus on the first four, four, first four verses. That's harder to say than you think. First four verses of Romans 8 together. Uh, this is Romans 8, chapter 1. Nope, Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So throughout Romans 8, what, what Paul is going to be describing to us, what he's going to be unpacking for us and, and, and giving us a vision for is what life looks like according to the Spirit. And so he starts with really two fundamental things that, that his entire argument is built on in Romans chapter 8. And the first thing that, that he wants us to understand that we need to, to build from is our new status. We need to operate out of a new status. And I, I want you to hear me on this. Because of all, all the fantastic things that you're ever going to hear somebody say to you, of all, all the wonderful things that you are ever going to read, there is perhaps nothing greater than what Paul tells us right here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like I, 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 We have to let that sink in for a second. We've got to let that saturate. And, and here's one of the things about trying to preach Paul is that every sentence that he writes like, seems to carry enough content for an entire sermon. There's just so, there's just so much here. My wife and I, a couple years ago, we, we were moving, and when we were in that moving process, you, like, like you do, um, unless you're a cash buyer, which we were not, we went and got a mortgage loan and an application. And so with technology this day, our... our mortgage advisor, counselor, whatever, said, uh, broker, mortgage broker, mortgage guy, said, use this website, and you can go on the website, and you can check your current status, and so it, it's kind of a nerve-wracking process. You're always sort of waiting for something to go wrong, and, it, and so I was sort of fixated on this thing, and you could see this little, like, bar moving from station to station, with various degrees of approval until it finally arrives at the status that says cleared to close. Oh, the freedom of cleared to close, right? Like, you finally made it. Like, we get this. We, 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 we think about it in terms of, like, 
frequent flyer miles or something like that, right? You, there's silver status and there's gold status and there's platinum status and there's platinum plus status. Like silver status just means I one time took a flight somewhere, right? Like we all start there at silver. It, it gets you nothing. But then as you kind of build along the way, there's certain benefits. And if you've ever like, I've never had like platinum plus status, but I've traveled with people who, who have, and it's like the Red Sea just parts for them. Like the whole world is open up. There's people walking around, giving them snacks all the time. It's fantastic. See, at the outset of, of Paul's depiction of the life, the, the life-giving spirit, life in the spirit, life according to the spirit, he starts with a change in our status that's moved from a position of condemnation to no condemnation. And let me just ask you, how, how many of you live your everyday life, you get up in the morning with an awareness that your, your status, your position in Christ is one of no condemnation? How, how many of us are, are, are approach our days even aware of that? Because if we're honest with ourselves, I think so frequently that feels too good to be true. It, it feels like there's no way this can be real. Paul, in fact, makes uh, that point as he talks, just prior to this passage, he talks about the struggles of, of living what he calls, like he'll use the word, in the flesh and in the spirit. If you back up just a few verses to Romans 7, 19, Listen to what Paul describes here. He says, for I do not know, or excuse me, for I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I, I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to, I am no longer the one that does it, but it's sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For my inner self, I delight in the law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? So Paul's he's very honest about this, this condition, this struggle. And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God. But with my flesh, the law of sin, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, Paul's honest about the struggle of our human condition. Why, I think for most of us, again, if you're anything like me, from a faith perspective, we, we see ourselves in this constant state of flux between a state of condemnation. So I, it's like I become aware of convicted of a, a sin in my life and and I feel a sense of guilt or shame around that brokenness around that like why is this present with me and then I'll I'll be brought to a place of repentance and I'll say Lord like please forgive me and it's I'm aware of his grace and I'm now I'm in this place of no condemnation but then I go out and something makes me angry and I you know whatever and now I'm back in this place of condemnation I I, I feel like myself being pulled between these two realities. But that's not what Paul's describing here. As a kid, I, re I can still remember the day that, that I, in a childlike faith, became convinced of the truth of the gospel, 
I knew my need for, for Jesus's forgiveness. I can picture the, the bed that I was kneeling beside with my dad. I, it was like this rust bedspread. It was, I was, it was the early 80s, and, and the bedspread was from the 70s. And there I, can, I can see the wallpaper that was on the wall. I can remember placing my faith in Jesus. But then as a child, I can remember being keenly aware that I was not perfected. And so every time, like, our children's director would pray a prayer or invite kids to place their faith in Jesus, I would always, yes, please, I need that. Like, it was my little way of thinking, like, I know I've still messed it up, and I, I, I still, I need you. And so I would constantly come back to this because I didn't, I did not in my childlike faith have an understanding of what Paul's telling us here. Because to not be condemned, this is a legal term. It's, it's a legal standing that you have. It, it literally means that there is no charge levied against you. There's no debt that you owe. There is no penalty that you must incur. What Paul is saying is that in Christ, this is a permanent status change. Timothy Keller, in, in his commentary on Romans, says, Paul is saying categorically that condemnation no longer exists at all for a believer. It's not waiting in the wings to come back and cloud our future. This is our permanent legal standing before God. There is no condemnation. And the power of those two words, no condemnation, it's, it's connected to the position of what exactly follows it for those who are in Christ Jesus. This new status change changing over from being declared guilty, rightly so, it's which, that's who we were, to being declared innocent is not the result of, of our effort. It's not something that you and I have done or earned. It's not something that's no uh, spiritual or religious achievement that we finally accomplished. But it is impulsive. It's entirely the result of being in Christ Jesus. That's a phrase, by the way, that... that Paul uses frequently. In fact, if we were to comb our way through his various letters to various churches in the New Testament, you'd discover that Paul says in Jesus or in Christ Jesus or in him uh, over 160 times. It's obviously very significant in what he wants us to understand. This is what we talked about last week at an Easter morning. We're talking about what does it mean? How do describing our belief in Jesus to be more than a, a mental assent that he existed and that maybe he taught some interesting things or did some nice things to some people? He didn't. It wasn't about the idea of making ourselves a little bit better, but it's rather saying I place my trust in the entirety of my life in Him. To be in Christ means to be united with Him in His death and resurrection. In fact, Paul describes this just, just a few verses earlier. If you flip just a page over to Romans chapter 6, Paul makes the same point when he's talking about what does it mean for us to be in Christ. Romans 6 verse 4, he says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, 
we will certainly also be in the, in the likeness of his resurrection. This, this is what Paul means when he's saying that you are in Christ. When, when we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, when our hope is in him, you're taking the whole of your life and you're placing it entirely in the whole of his life. And in that place, Paul says there is, there is no condemnation. Ever. For those who are in Christ Jesus. And here's the problem. We forget. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on, on Romans 8, said, Most of our troubles are due to our failure, our failure to realize the truth of this verse. M most of the struggle, most of the trouble that we experience is, is because, if you're, again, is we revert to this former identity that we experience in our humanness. So we go back to this idea that I'm defined by my guilt or I'm defined by my mistakes, I'm defined by my sin and, and my brokenness. So that's what we operate out of. And then we build in this, this flawed and this inferior motivation for pursuing Jesus, for pursuing holiness. It becomes a place of like obligation and, and duty and even fear. And the problem is those things will never evoke the power in you to follow Jesus that gratitude and love will. They're just inferior. So Paul he describes this, this change in our status, our legal standing before God. It's moved from a position of condemnation, guilty as charged, to one of, of no condemnation in Christ, his righteousness, his purity placed on top of me. And so out of that new status, then Paul says you experience, you're given a new freedom. There is a new freedom that comes with this new status. Look again at, at Romans uh, 8, verse 2. Romans 8, verse 2. Paul writes this. Well, back in verse 1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, Paul, Paul when he uses this word that's translated as law, he, he uses it in a number of ways. He, he talks about it as he does in verse 3. When we read that earlier, he'll talk about it in the sense of what the law could not do. And there he's using it specifically to refer to the Old Testament or the Mosaic law. What, what the law could provide for you and what it couldn't provide for you. But here in verse 2, he uses the word to describe um, like a force or a power in you. So I, I think of it this way. When I was a, a kid... And my family first started to go down to the beach together to vacation in South Carolina. And my parents, as I got old enough to go out and kind of play in the waves by myself, my parents taught me about the undertow, about how there was a force that was happening that would kind of drag us down the beach. And largely as kids, we were kind of unaware of it. Like unless it was really strong that day, we're out there playing and doing our things and having fun. And then all of a sudden, like, my mom could do that thing that, that moms do where they whistle, like, by putting their fingers in their mouth, and it's, like, at a one million decibels. And you, like, you could be on the other side of the globe and be like, Mom? I, like, 
And, and that would be the sign. Like you'd get out of the water, you'd walk on the beach, you'd come back and you'd center yourself back where the family was. But there was this, this force this, that was taking me somewhere. It was leading me in a specific direction. Right? You, look at what Paul's saying here. Look at what he's telling us. He's just said, not only have we been released from the penalty of sin, but you have also been set free from the power of sin through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want, to be, I want to be clear here, because if, the, if we start to think of this in a way, if we, if we get some notion that says, well, because I have a status of no condemnation in Christ, then does that mean I'm free to live however I want to live? And, and that, of course, is not Paul's point at all. In fact, according to Paul, to do so is to live, you've been set free, that would be to live as one who has not been set free. Jesus did not die, he did not overcome the grave so that we can actively choose to live in bondage. Again, just, just a few chapters earlier, at the very beginning of chapter 6, Paul words it this way, he says, what should we say? Should we continue to live in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. Right? Of course not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So the question then for us becomes how? And this is where Paul's going to go in, in, in the rest of this chapter. Paul's going to start to unfold for us what life according to the Spirit looks like. How do we partner with him in it? How, how, how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we partner with or align ourselves with the work of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin in our lives? Because it's an active engagement. It's, it's, there's a participatory element to this. And Paul wants to unfold that. And he's going to talk about, he's going to teach us how do we set our minds, Paul will say in verse 5, on things of the Spirit. We're going to get there. I, I want you to stick this out over the next few weeks because it's, it's really good stuff. But before we do, before we jump to all of that, we have to remind ourselves of these two essential elements, these two fundamental truths of who we are because of Christ. You are, when you've placed your faith in Jesus, he says there is a legal status change. You are under no condemnation in Christ. And you have been set free from the law of sin and death. In verse 3 and 4, they show us how he did it. Look at this again. He says, what the law, referring again at this point to the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us, who do, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This week, as we were sitting around the table and talking about the, the different preaching pastors, we get together and we, we look at the passage and we wrestle with it and we ask each other questions and how are you going to handle this? And we're trying to think about how do, we, how do we articulate? We wanted to focus on these first two things, but how do we capture what he's saying there in verse 3 and 4? And Pastor Andrew responded and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Mr. Bean. And we said, you're going to need to elaborate on that. And you're like, 
And there's this scene, and you know, if you don't know Andrew, he's British, and so he thinks Mr. Bean's funny, and, and, <laughs> um, and there's this scene in an early Mr. Mr. Bean episode where he is looking at this priceless piece of artwork. And as he, he's looking at it, he sneezes all, all over the art, and he gets, he's horrified, and so he starts to try to clean it, he grabs his handkerchief, and he takes it and he starts to wipe it, but he realizes his pen has linked on his handkerchief. So now he's wiping ink all over it and he, he starts to freak out. So he takes it on the, off the wall and he takes his shirt and he starts scrubbing it. But now the paint is beginning to be removed and, he, and one thing leads to another. And this is the, the end result of his efforts, I think, right there. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, right, like he takes this Sharpie and he tries to recapture what the artist had created. And the reason that Andrew brought this up is because he, he, this, is, this is human effort in the midst of our brokenness. Is, is we, we try to recapture what the art has created and we just end up making it worse. That's what the, that's what the law gives us in and of itself. Right? In, in order to restore the art, you need the artist to come and to do the thing that only they can do. That's the only way to replicate what was done. That's what verse 3 and 4 are teaching us. This is what Jesus did, what the law could not do. Right? There, is, there is no amount of law keeping that takes away sin. There's no ability to, it can, it can reveal our brokenness. It, it, can, it can make me aware of my need for forgiveness. But it, the law cannot say to me, there is no condemnation in the law. For that, you need Jesus. Douglas Moo words it this way. He said, Christ became what we are so that we could become what he is. God sent Jesus to be our penalty for sin. He sends his Holy Spirit in our lives to break the power of sin. And if we are going to live the life that God desires of us, if we're going to live the life that he intends for us as his followers and in his kingdom, it begins with understanding who we are in Christ. Hear me today. In Christ, there is no condemnation. None. Ever. You've been set free from the power of sin and death. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again. Lord, for what you accomplished on our behalf. And Jesus, I forgive me for the many, many times that I start my day totally taking it for granted or doing that dance in my heart between a place of condemnation and, and, and of grace. So Jesus, would you remind us what you say about us? What has been done on our behalf? Would you re teach us to live out of a place of no condemnation in response of, of love and gratitude to you to pursue you and to pursue holiness in you? Because that's what you came to accomplish. To restore what was broken, to put it back, we ask you all these things in your name. Amen.